Hello, and welcome to Golden Grenades, a podcast that takes a sideways glance over the spotted scope of grenades, and each week a special guest discusses their five favourite species and why they are so great. My name is Kit, aka Yolo Bird, and this week my special guest is Lucy Blackburn. Lucy is a self-taught naturalist and all-round nature nerd working in conservation. She currently works for the RSPB as a campaigner and has previously worked for them in communication, fundraising and community engagement. In 2015, at the end of her first contract with the RSPB straight out of uni, she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Whilst not working during six months of chemotherapy, she taught herself more about British wildlife and started her Instagram blog under the name Lucy Lapwing, taking traditionally nerdy topics and presenting them in a fun and inclusive way. Since then, she accidentally stumbled into the world of wildlife communications and continues to blog about the natural world whilst on her bumblings in the UK. Since 2020, she's successfully spread the nerdy word on a number of platforms, including BBC Earth and Springwatch's Instagrams, the Self-Isolation Bird Club, and most recently has produced a birdsong lesson series for BBC Radio 3. Hello, Lucy. Welcome to Golden Grenades. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm like a huge fan of the podcast, so I'm fangling a bit. <laughs> oh, fantastic. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I know how busy you are, so you've squeezed us in today. But yeah, thanks so much for that. I've heard you talk on a couple of other podcasts and on David Lindo's In Conversation, and I gather you've been interested in wildlife well ever since you were big enough to fill your pockets and your wellies with worms. So is it true that your first words were slime mould? <laughs> I wish they were. I wish they were. Uh, embarrassingly, my first word was pretty, of all things. So I, I assume I used it to describe wood lice and snails and other various things that I loved. <laughs> Absolutely. I heard Jack Badham's on a, on a podcast and he said his first word was bird, but, uh, you know, I'm yeah. not so sure about that. Fake news. I'm going to have to sack my researcher there, <laughs> which is obviously me. Um, also, I mentioned in the intro there that you were diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, a type of cancer, weren't you? And after you had successful treatment for that, you emerged as Lucy Lapwing. And it's almost like your own superhero origin story that... You know, you went through that horrific experience and then came out the other side and turned it into something amazingly positive. Yeah, I tried to treat it as a positive thing, really. It's not a time I look back on at all and think of as, as being negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt physically quite quite rubbish quite often during it. But yeah, it was, um, you know, an opportunity you don't often get as a, as a I think I was 23 at the time. It, you know, like to, to have that time off work and I took it upon myself to go volunteering. So I did a lot of like bird, bird nerdy surveys. I did some willow tit surveys and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it's just, I kind of decided to just immerse myself in, and throw myself into it, much to my doctor's disdain because I was pond dipping and <laughs> climbing trees and, and running around chasing bugs and all the things you shouldn't be doing when you've got no immune system. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I learned a lot. And I think the well-being side of it, being outside and, and, and connecting with nature properly and learning about it just did absolute wonders for, for the head as well. So yeah, it was really good. Yeah, great. And I mean, it's a fantastic story. But I was thinking it probably would have been easier for you just to get bitten by a radioactive lapwing. (laughs) If you've got one, I'd love to meet it. Because yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of have like a a weird thing about wildlife, like bites and scratches and stings. I'm morbidly curious about it. So I'd put my finger right in its beak if there was one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, keep keep a list of all the things you've been bitten and uh, stung by, you know, and wear it as a badge of honour. Yeah. They don't have that in Scouts. Yeah, exactly. Bitten and stung by badge. (laughs) But you did choose Lapwing, Lucy Lapwing as the the moniker to go by. And obviously it's got that lovely alliteration, the double L thing. 
but you could have had a couple of other options I was thinking of. You could have had Lucy Linnett. I know you're a big fan of the little brown job and no spoilers, but we might be talking about that a little bit later on. Lucy Lapland Bunting. Oh, nice. Yeah. Lucy Lesser Yellow Legs. (laughs) What are you saying about my legs? Have you been been talking to? (laughs) (laughs) You might not have had such a successful career to date if you'd gone by Lucy Lesser Yellow Legs, I don't think. Well, actually, when I first started, I went too far into the into the nerdiness. So my Instagram before it was naturey when it was just me, you know, going on nights out and going to the pub was Lucy Lamp Lady off of Alphabet Land, like when you're uh-huh. in reception, learning the alphabet. And then I, when I changed it to something naturey, I was like, I need something naturey beginning with L. So the nerd in me thought of Lucy Lacerta as in like Lacerta Agilis. As in like lizards. Uh. <laughs> nobody was making that connection. So I was like, I need to go more simple here. What means with L? Lapping, yeah. there we go, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. Good choice. So one of the things I've noticed and heard you talk about a little bit recently is eco-anxiety and the fear mm-hmm. that we have for the future of this planet. And regular listeners will know that this podcast is based on the worst case scenario of an environmental apocalypse of some sort, and that you can only save five bird species from a mass extinction event. Yay, what fun. So you've chosen your five favourite birds to talk about. Well, I'm saying your five favourites, but you know, they're not really your five favourites. They're the five favourites that haven't been talked about a lot already on this podcast. So, but five that would be up there for you. And you've chosen some absolute crackers, including actually three that I would strongly consider having on my own list. Can I just say as well, it is actually very morbidly refreshing to have somebody else who is an environmental apocalypse embracer like myself. (laughs) You know, I find there's quite a lot of, um, not toxic positivity, but people often talk about the fact that everything's going to be fine, it'll all work out. But the reality is it's actually really bad. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I think a little bit of despair and hopelessness is actually really important to solving the, the biodiversity crisis because, it, you know, it gives us a kick up the bum and makes us do something. So I think it's a really good premise to talk around. I know it's negative, but it's like, yes, thank you. Somebody's saying it. So Yeah, um, you'd need a little bit of fear to be used as like a call to arms to do yes. stuff. And, and I know that, you know, that's what you're doing really successfully across your social media and, and you're hoping to engage people and get them more into the natural world. So, yeah, yeah it's brilliant. You can be pessimistic and sad and and realistic, I'd argue, about the state of things and how bad it is. And then you can still find joy in nature and fascination and wonder. Like the two things aren't separate. So, Absolutely. So let's not beat around the bush anymore. Tell us about bird number one. One, one, one. Bird number one is the epitome of the little brown job. Now, a little caveat before I start is that within my birth, I'm going to be celebrating the brown jobs. So not just the little brown jobs, just the brown jobs, because they're done in by birding. People just hate them. People are disinterested and switched off and, you know, barely even lift the binoculars to them. So I thought I'd celebrate them because birds aren't colourful for us. They're colourful for each other. We don't look at colour in other animals to decide if they're interesting or not. So, uh-huh. you know, most big cats are some shade of brown or beige or yellow. They're not, you know, massively colourful. But everybody thinks they're beautiful. Monkeys, a lot of them are brown. People think they're great, you know. So why is it with birds? We dismiss them because they're brown. I think it's really fascinating. So mm. bird number one, I picked the ultimate brown job and possibly the most accessible brown job, the dunnock. They're fantastic little birds full of character. And they have probably more than any other garden bird, a particularly interesting sex life. There's no other yeah. way to put it. Absolutely not. And that's it. So... 
I mean, first of all, they are brown. Yeah, let's get that out of the way. But if you look closer, the little colours in there are, you know, they're really beautiful. They've got that kind of bluey grey hidden in there. This kind of mad looking red, reddish eye that looks a little bit frantic. Um, and they're just, just the way they move is excellent. Like I remember, I remember consciously noticing dunnocks when I first got into bird watching, like when I was about 19, 20. And they were sat atop the hedge. And, and obviously their other name, common name is hedge sparrow, even though they're not a sparrow. They're in a centre or accenter, however you say it. Let's not get into pronunciations. <laughs> um, and I remember seeing them at, atop the hedge as a hedge sparrow would do. And, and they do that that wing flick thing behind them. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little like little flirty little like, oh, look at me. Um, and I just found it hilarious. And yeah, like you said, if you sit and watch Dunnocks, it's like the best kind of soap opera you could ask for. The stuff going on, there's like, you know, there's threesomes, there's these like love triangles going on. There's, I mean... We're going to have to talk about cloacal pecking. That's just the best thing ever. <laughs> it's insane. Come on, tell, tell us about cloacal pecking. So cloaca, it's the area of the bird that all of the things come in and out of. It's where the poop happens. It's where the breeding happens. It's a general orifice and an overall uniform orifice. And dunnocks have this amazing kind of social life where you used to think that they were monogamous. So you'd have a male and a female, like a lot of birds that pair up, stick together, raise a brood. But people who start studying dunnocks, little brown jobs that were quite boring, came to notice that there was actually a little bit more going on. And there's all sorts of kind of infidelities and secrets and, like I said, little love triangles. And so a male, when he approaches a female, will, will understand if she's previously recently mated with a different male. And so he tends to go to her rear and peck at her cloaca <laughs> in order to get her to eject the rival's sperm. So it's basically to stop, you know, his rival from being the father of, of, of her children, if that makes sense. Um, but if you see it happening, it's just the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's so bizarre to watch. And with, You know, working for the RSPB, we get a lot of... Um, bird identification inquiries come in you know what's this bird in my garden can you help and in spring we inevitably get this wave of cloacal pecking come into our inboxes and it's just brilliant people are like what are these birds doing (laughs) (laughs) and it's just brilliant i love it it is it's it's a fascinating piece of bird behavior isn't it i recently had dominic cousins on the podcast who's really interested in all different types of bird behavior and you know more than any other bird it's something you can see in your garden doing the weirdest thing and what what always strikes me is that the the female happily sort of like let it happen like (laughs) you know it's like yeah come on just pick up the bird she's facilitating it fully isn't she tails up wings spread like get in there yes it's (laughs) (laughs) it's so strange but it's crazy and i mean you can sometimes get not just an alpha and a beta male with one female you can have an alpha beta gamma or you can have alpha pluses which are these superhero type dunnocks that are just like unbeatable and they'll sometimes fight to the death you know that the female dunnock is just facilitating all of this you know so she's just wanting to keep her territory and she goes right i'm gonna get a couple of fellas one that i probably like (laughs) first and then i'll get this other fella and he'll help me defend this territory a bit as well it's like bridget jones diary or something and then they'll have a fight and she's in the middle of it all yeah Yeah, it's amazing she's having a grand time it's great (laughs) (laughs) and you're right they are the quintessential little brown bird and dunnook literally means brown bird doesn't it little brown bird so it's i didn't know that so there you go yeah it is yeah okay yes yeah it's the perfect example of of opening your eyes to nature you know you just sit and watch these these little tiny worlds of drama unfold right in front of you and it's fascinating really yeah. funny <laughs> and you know i read somewhere that they copulate something like 100 times a day when they when they're at the peak 
you know, a mm. hundred times a day, it's split second each time, but it's a hundred times a day over a 10 day period. Yeah. And that's pretty impressive in anyone's book really, it's, isn't it? It's crazy. It's like, you've only got to make one egg, calm down, <laughs> like one <laughs> egg a day. <laughs> amazing, amazing little birds. Right then, I, I don't know where we're going to go from that, but it can only go uphill. So let's move on and talk about bird number two. Bird number two. This is one I have a massive affinity for uh, because it was one of the star species on the first RSPB reserve I worked on. It is the pied flycatcher. Oh, I'm lovely. Specifically going to celebrate the female because this is about brown jobs and she is brown. So, yeah, my first reserve that I, I worked on for the RSPB was a little pocket of ancient woodland in Staffordshire called Coombs Valley. It's just stunning. It's really, really quiet. It's like a steep-sided ancient oak woodland. No dogs are allowed there, which is quite unusual for a nature reserve. I'm a big dog lover, but I feel like there need to be nature spaces that have dogs excluded. And it's really good to see places that do that. And yeah, it's just got these woodland specialities. So you get your red starts in, in some areas of the valley. There's wood warbler, lesser spotted woodpecker and the pied flycatcher, which they're just great, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. This is This is one of those birds that would be right up there for me, you know, because like you say, and I've said it a couple of times on the podcast, there's certain birds that if you see them, you're having a good day. It means you're in a, the right kind of environment. You know, you're possibly going to see some other great, great things as well. You know, so if you're in a wood where you can see a pied flycatcher, you know, you're possibly going to look upon all those other things you've just mentioned, those sort of deciduous specialists. But yeah, great, great little birds. Yeah, they they're brilliant. And and that's exactly what you said. They're like literal canaries in the in the coal mine, but the opposite way around. If you know... A certain bird's present it tells you about that environment it tells you that it's of a certain quality or a certain type so yeah yeah that was my first encounter with them and I remember you know when I was applying for the job knowing nothing about birds dare, dare I admit <laughs> applying for the RSBB um, I remember looking at the website you know and, you know doing my research before the interview and thinking ah star species pine flycatcher and then seeing my first ever one of my entire life when I got there after I got the job um, and yeah they're just they're brilliant but the reason I included them is that um, the female looks like the male, carbon copy of the male, but brown instead of black and white. She's brown and white. Again, I'm, I'm becoming quite obsessed with the relationship structures of birds, it seems. They have a really interesting kind of mating dynamic, pie flycatchers, it's been studied quite heavily. Um, and this is part of a wider conversation going on in birding that, you know, a, a lot of us have noticed for ages is that female birds are often dismissed. They're not counted as, as, uh, as much as males. In terms of the experience, um, I think Maya Rose Craig, bird girl, the other day posted a picture of a standard hide board where the females are tiny and the males right in the front, you know, of the ducks, because all the male ducks are sexy yeah, and all yeah. the females. And it's a really interesting, you know, conversation. People say, oh, it's to get people more engaged. You know, we need to see the males more because it's, you know, they're easier. And it's like, well, surely the females present more of a challenge. So we should be teaching them more because you literally got a 50-50 chance of seeing either. And the fact that you dismiss them means that people don't engage with them the same. And again, it comes back to colour. Why are we so obsessed with colour? Yeah. You know, so um, reading about the pied flycatcher, the males will often have two or even three females on the go. So he has a primary female that he mates with, starts raising a clutch. And then while she's on eggs, he then seeks out a second female and starts a, a family with her but the way I've read about their behavior which I find fascinating it's all written from the male perspective so it's like the male does this the male has one female the male gets another female and then he returns to the first oh, female okay. helps the feed and I'm like uh -uh. what about <laughs> the second female that he's just abandoned 
because yeah. a large proportion of pied flycatcher females are secondary females that raise broods entirely on her own. I was like, why isn't the conversation about her? You know, she's yeah. a badass mum. <laughs> yeah, single um, parent. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's like, oh, the male's sexy. Like, he's doing all this work. He's like, no, he's not. He's going around and just mating with a couple of females and the females are doing all the hard work. So let's talk about it. And I just think, I just think they're beautiful little things. They're, they're so fascinating to watch. Uh, when they're when they're doing what they say on the tin when they're catching the flies yeah you know sallying from a branch so yeah i thought i'd, I'd represent the underrepresented and go for the, the brown female <laughs> that's a, a really great reason for including them i i wonder if it is just you know you know we, we are just drawn to the bee eaters yeah. and the wall creepers and the hoopos and you know when you're little you know that's what you you look at and oh I just yeah the color in the book yeah i absolutely. just wonder if it's ingrained from there i don't know I think so. It's not a criticism because it is, it is a man's world, bird watching it, absolutely, you know, categorically, particularly within British culture. But that's not a negative thing. I, I owe most of my bird knowledge to old birdie blokes <laughs> who were the most wonderful, kind, just excellent, beautiful people around who spent so much time because I've shown an interest as a young person teaching me and showing me things. And, you know, but the, that doesn't mean to say that you can't question that the aspects of that culture that are a bit problematic and... Totally. Um, you know, and there's a there's a there's a a competitiveness that I think is a big turn off to a lot of women yeah. in it, and kind of a, a snobbery as well. And I think that's where the that's where the the brownness thing comes in because, you know, people just look down on other people's excitement, and I find that really sad. I remember at Coombs Valley, and I was so I was 22 when I worked there, and I remember a young girl came in, and she must have been 13, 14, and she had a pair of binoculars. She was with her dad. She was so excited because she's seen 10 goldfinches in one tree, and there was this old boy birder in the background rooting around in the pin badges or whatever, and he just scoffed without even turning around and said, Ugh, to be excited by a goldfinch again. And I was like, oh. get a grip. Like, she's a kid, and goldfinches are mint. Have you looked at them? Like, yeah. And it's just that kind of, like, yeah snootiness when people are just finding joy in birds because we all agree birds are excellent that's what it's yeah. about yeah. yeah definitely i mean i think that's one of the reasons why i first joined social media many years ago to just to have a little bit of poke a little bit of fun at it and you yeah. know get enthusiastic <laughs> about you know the common stuff and i think if you stop deriving pleasure from the everyday then yeah. you know it must be really hard to please i would yeah. you know if you saw that kid you'd be like oh that's awesome isn't it you know Excellent. great stuff yeah. good honor that's yeah. <laughs> what it's all about coming back to pied fly catchers i Sorry, yes tangent. no 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 it's okay because it's 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 a really interesting topic pied fly catchers we were driving past my little spot where i know i can go and see them it's about 10 miles that way and when my son was a bit younger we were just driving past and he looked and he saw the trees and out of his car window and he said oh daddy i wonder if the gruffalo lives in there <laughs> and i i said well possibly but i do know an amazing animal that does live in there it's a bird called a pied fly catcher and he went oh and i said guess what they eat and he went pies <laughs> excellent <laughs> uh, straight out of the mouth of babes yeah Cute. excellent excellent that would be a sight to behold i'd like <laughs> catcher catching a pie <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah awesome right let's move on tell me about bird number three bird number three 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 right bird number three no surprises again it is another brown jobby it took me a while i kept kind of going around the houses here but I've gone for the rock pipit. Pipits in general are just excellent, aren't they? I love them. 
They are, and they're challenging. And I think that's one thing that birders quite like about them. And even when you get them down to rock pipit, meadow pipit, tree pipit, whatever, there's all the subspecies that, you know, which is way beyond my level of expertise. I just go by, if it's pecking around on seaweed, it's probably a rock pipit. <laughs> when I started birding, to me, dismiss them, you know, brown jobbies, whatever. But when you watch them, they're just so funny they're so full of character and my favorite thing about them is that they almost seem to come in like different flavors like <laughs> like wait wherever you are you get a different flavor pipit like if you're in a meadow you're going to get a mippet you know if you're near some woods you're going to get a trippet and then if you're <laughs> like the seaside and some rocks like lo and behold there's a rocket it's like they're brilliant yeah I was I was going to say tree pipit I was going to say trippet until this last week and this last week I've been staying with my best friend on the Isle of Butte in Scotland oh nice um, and I went for a 16-mile walk <laughs> last week. I was absolutely knackered, but walked along the seafront and, uh, yeah, just got this burst into song. And I'd never, it, it occurred to me, I'd never in the flesh or the feather, whatever you say with a bird, heard Rock Pipit song before. I'd heard it in recordings. So I, I just, in my mind, I've always, like, I'm always trying to tune into bird song. And I just heard this noise and my brain half dismissed it as a meadow pippin. I was like, wait a second, you're on like a beach seafront. I was like, that's definitely a rock pippin. And so I watched this pippin go up. And my favourite thing about them is that ridiculous parachute that they do. Yeah. <laughs> the little pose. I imagine them like um, a ballet dancer. Like they're so flamboyant. You can imagine them kind of like throwing their head back and just being really dramatic, like, la, like <laughs> just ridiculous. Like, the way they get all stiff and rigid and like fly down and they're all just like making a really big hoo-ha of it. Um, and this this rock pipit was doing it round in circles again and again and again singing. Um, and then, yeah, I just sat there and watched it. And then eventually it landed right in front of me, hopped down onto the beach and started feeding a little fledgling. Um, and the fledgling then decided to have a little bath in a rock pool right in front of me and it was just the most beautiful moment watching these brown birds with so much like character like you said and the ridiculous feet as well with the really long claws they're like <laughs> really creepy i think they're great <laughs> no they are though again like you say overlooked and just like eh, it's a rock pipit and, and meadow pipits obviously you know who is it who once called them nature's mars bars or nature's snickers or something because they just get eaten by everything up in the in the moorlands you know if you're going to start i know you do your sort of youtube bird song series don't you so if you start tackling pipits in terms of their song then you know massive respect to you yeah i mean i think i can get it a mippet is it's kind of like it starts off trying to be a skylark and then it just kind of waterfalls down yeah. to the ground doesn't it with a tree pipit the way I remember Chief of it, because I did, I worked at Sherwood Forest for a little while and I did some of the woodland point counts yeah, yeah. surveys. It ended up having to get up at like 4 a.m. In, in spring and go out and record birds. And so I had to train myself new bird song that I didn't know. So I had to learn uh, Red Start, which I didn't know very well, and uh, Tree Pipit and Woodlark. Woodlark's really nice. Red Start I got. And I, what I do is set them as my ringtone and my alarm tone on my phone. So if somebody called me or I got a notification or my alarm in the morning would be a bird I needed to learn uh, to get it stuck in my head. Good idea. To the point that when I first went out and heard the Red Start singing, I actually grabbed for my phone. I was like, oh. <laughs> But it wasn't, it was a real one. Uh, yeah, so Tree Pipit, the visual, because I always try and, when I'm learning birds, I always try and put a vision in my head, is that it's a tiny little cowboy. And he's wearing a tiny little cowboy hat. He's got a holster. And when he comes down, he goes, pew, 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 with <laughs> these tiny little cowboy guns. Like it. And I never forget it. Like, it's wherever it is. I'm like, there's a cowboy about. <laughs> 
And so rock pipit's similar. I need to work out how to compare those. But yeah, there's fun ways of remembering bird song to help dissect the ones that are really difficult, I think. That's excellent. I, I, I love the idea of a tiny little cowboy. <laughs> Actually, I meant to ask you this earlier, but this is a good point to, to sneak this in, I think. It's my most recent oh. feature, which I've been calling... Zero punches pulled. Where you get asked a question that hopefully you will not get asked anywhere else because it's it's too ridiculous. So okay. <laughs> if you could make any bird the size of any other bird and have it as your best pal, which bird would it be and why? Oh my God, that's the best question I've ever been <laughs> asked. I need, at least, I need at least two weeks <laughs> to think about this. Right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, I'll tell you mine. I'll tell you mine. I would like an osprey the size of a chaffinch, and I would just take it to my little local river and watch it catching minnows. How cool would that be? Oh, my God, that's so beautiful. Just just a little osprey, and it would be perched on my my hat that I'd have to wash regularly because it would smell. And, yeah, we'd we'd just be pals down by the river, and he would catch minnows. That is amazing. Oh, that's so beautiful. Oh, I don't know how I can outdo that now. Right, hang on. <laughs> okay, I would have a kestrel uh-huh. the size of a mower <laughs> or an elephant bird. <gasps> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or an elephant bird. And then I would use it, I would get a saddle, and I would ride that giant kestrel, and I would hover above the officers of the CEOs of the biggest polluting and carbon-releasing companies in the world. <laughs> and threaten them with my giant kettle to change <laughs> and politicians i would hover above westminster my giant kestrel and threaten them with either death by talon or giant kestrel poop or pellet you could regurgitate a pellet onto it ab- absolutely good yeah i didn't think you'd top my chaffinch size osprey but hats off to you you have that's that's a brilliant answer <laughs> what an excellent question I oh that. dear right enough of this tomfoolery Okay. One last thing before we uh, before we move on from the rock pivot. I love the fact that in the Fair Isles they call them stinkles. I didn't know that, but I love L- it. A little Why? stinkle. Yeah, it's cute. Isn't it? I don't know. It's just an old vernacular. You're one of these archaic sort of names that's just, you know, dropped out of usage or whatever. But they, are, they used to call them the stinkle. Lovely. Right. Just the rock pipit, or can we can we say like meadow stinkle, tree stinkle? I think you can. It was specifically about the rock pipit, but... Feel free, crack on, Meadow Stinkle. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I Do love it. That. <laughs> right. Let's move on. Bird number four. Bird number four. Right. Bird number four is the nightjar. Yes. I mean, that's it. I don't think we need to even talk about it. No. Do you know what? I can't believe it's taken me, I don't know, this is, I think, the 16th or the 17th recording I've done. I can't believe it's not come up before. I even had to engineer talking yeah. about nightjars with Fife Dangerfield just even though it wasn't one of his five, just so I could talk about nightjars. Yes, they... I was like, no, no, shush. <laughs> because they are amazing birds. In fact, I'm not even sure they're yep. birds. They're just brilliant. No. Spirits, demons, oh, elves, who knows? An enigmatic, <laughs> I don't know, I think they're their own thing. They're just, oh, they're like something yeah. from Middle Earth. Yeah, from another realm, absolutely. And again, brown job, but just exquisite ridiculous brown jog and I've just I've been enchanted with them ever since I even heard they kind of existed like they're just ridiculous things the way that they can do like the best impression of like a log or a branch and just sit there like that's their tactic in the day if you find them they just go uh, 
I'm a log. <laughs> and just hope that you don't see them. Um, and then the fact, yeah, they're just, just all of the folklore and like, like just weird stories and kind of that, that vibe. I mean, you can see why people believed in weird things like spirits and ghosts, because, you know, you go out to a heathland at night where there's night jars and you hear that noise of them cheering, that endless noise round and round. And, you know, they, they fly around, they've got these white bits on their wings. They clap the wings together. Amazing. They're just brilliant. And I think, I think it's an opportunity to just connect with some absolutely bonkers, bizarre nature that not, you know, if I went out onto the street this afternoon and started asking people in the street if they know what a night jar is, I reckon 19 out of 20 wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't even be able to tell you it's a bird, let alone what it looks like and what it does. And the fact that you can take people out to these places where there's this bird that comes out at night and does these ridiculous display flights and makes this endless impossible noise. I mean, just the science behind the noises that birds make and like the, the syrinx or syrinx, however you say it, and the anatomy of that. And it's just, it just tells you so many stories in one. It's got whiskers, for God's sake. Yeah. It's got whiskers. It's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, birds with whiskers instantly get elevated, don't they? <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the noise, the chirring, it, it's one of my favourite sounds in the whole world. Last year, I went to one of my spots and I had a couple just flying over my head, you know, and, you know, really close, closer than I've had them in a few years. It was amazing. Yeah. The, one of the very first ones I saw actually was not on the breeding sites. It was one it, it was one that had obviously just landed at the coast and it was knackered and it was doing that amalog thing. Yeah. And, you know, somebody found it in the daytime and I was there. So I went and had a little look and, you know, it was ridiculous. You just a sleeping bird but then as the dusk came all the all the bird has left and I was just the only mm. one who stayed you know waiting to see what it would do it got a bit darker and it started to fly mm. around and then I remembered singing Bill Oddie on a tv program ages ago where he flicked a couple of hankies to emulate the bird's white yes. spots on their wings yeah. and I thought I thought oh I'll, I'll give that a go so I did I had a couple of scraps of paper in my pocket and I just sort of flapped them and the bird just turned around and flew straight <laughs> at me and, you know, came right over yeah. my head, you know, and I thought, oh, well, hang on, maybe that's winding it up. So I'll, I better stop doing that. But it was, it was that's incredible. amazing, isn't that, and that, that level of bird behaviour that it's so programmed to react to the visual, you know, cues. It's incredible. And the clapping as well when you hear them. The, the first time I ever saw them was so in my first job with the RSPB, an amazing man called Colin Wilkinson, and I was senior conservation officer at the RSPB. Absolutely wonderful man. He was a wealth of knowledge. He was so dedicated, just calm and sweet and funny. And uh, he took us all out like a big gang of us to try and find night jars. We didn't find them. And I vividly remember him telling me off <laughs> because I was like 22 and just being an idiot and messing around with like my friends at work and, and being silly. And a couple of years later, he invited me to go down and join a bunch of them in the new forest to look for the night jar um, and the Dartford Warbler there. And we left it too late to book camping. <laughs> so we just decided to walk around the new forest heathland all night, like literally from, from about seven o'clock at night till about seven o'clock in the morning. And it was just, it was magical. He knew where everything was. He showed me my first glowworm. And then we got to this point on the brow of this hill where he was like, this is where the night jars will be. And we stopped and waited. And the first thing we heard was the clapping. And like I said, this bird just came over really low against the heather and then it swooped up into this tree and just sat there and you could see the silhouette of it and it just churred and churred and churred. And then two of them had like a big fight around their heads and it was it was just a magical, magical night kind of experience. The next morning, as we were walking back to the car, we saw a dark warbler feeding a brood of three chicks. It was brilliant. And yeah, it was, you know, when when somebody who has that knowledge shares it with you, isn't it? It's just the most magical thing when you don't know how to access yeah. it. And 
And this is kind of my journey as, as somebody getting into nature is that I'm not from a nature family. I'm not from a nature background. And so it takes those people yeah. who are generous with their time and knowledge to, to, to give it to me and share it with me. And that's exactly what Colin did. And really sadly, he passed away last year, which is just heartbreaking. For me, Night Jars are really special because of that. Like, it's a memory that, I, you know, I remember really yeah. well about Colin. He was brilliant. And I've had some really great encounters with them since. I never see them and not feel just like massive excitement and joy. They're just brilliant. Yeah, that's a lovely story. They are one of those birds that you, you have to make a bit of effort for, but it's worth it every time. And they used to be persecuted as well, didn't they? Because of the, like a lot of birds back in the olden days, night birds and scary birds and black birds, you know, birds that people had attributed to yes. evil spirits or death and destruction. But in, in the Nightjar's case, they believed that they brought disease and pestilence yes. to cattle, didn't it? And, and then because of that, they were sort of feared yes. and persecuted. When I, I confused you in my email, didn't I? Because I referred to them as goat suckers. Yeah, goat suckers. Uh, but actually, you were just talking about that old name of suckling goats and giving them disease. It's just hilarious. Which I, I, I should have realised. It's just so funny. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Now, looking back, these things that people used to believe, you know, that, you know, this crazy nocturnal bird would creep into the barn at night and suckle on the teats of goats. I didn't think we could go downhill after talking about the, the sex lives of Dunnocks, but somehow we've managed it. It sounds like something off the Mighty Boosh or something, doesn't it? It's so, like, surreal. Yeah. Right. Let's crack on and we'll talk about your fifth and final bird, and it's another corker. Bird number five. Bird number five is, again, brown jobby theme. Not a little one. I've already mentioned it. It's the kestrel. They're wonderful. At least I know they're really badass and I know they're excellent killers, but they just seem to exude like kindness. I know that's me anthropomorphizing them, but they just have just their little faces. They're just so soft and gentle with their viciousness. And I think even though that they're a bird of prey that you encounter quite frequently, well, you know, they've declined, but they're probably this, the most common after the buzzard. They're never not a source of fascination for me. Like the way they do the little whatever it's called, gyro thing, where they hold their head still and they move their the body and, and float in the wind. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, their alternative name as well, which I won't say because it's a swear word, but I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the wind F. Yes. Yeah. A perched kestrel is a stunner. Mm. You know, you're, you're saying that in the brown category, and yes, they, they are, but they've also got that peachiness. They've got a moustache, mm. another moustache. You know, they've got that grey head and the speckles. They're stunning birds. And I think if they weren't so common, if they were a bird who just rocked up on migration, like a hobby does, yeah. people would go gaga for them. Yeah, they'd absolutely lose their yeah. minds for them because, yeah, like you said, that you know, there's brilliant little yellow feet and everything. And what I love about them is that they're, they, are, they are accessible, like you can see them relatively easily. And an encounter with a kestrel is often a prolonged one. You know, a, a peregrine or a hobby or a merlin or, you know, another bird of prey is often a zoom. And that was your encounter, you know, unless you're lucky enough to see one catch something. But with a kestrel, the hovering means that you really get in there and you can really like ogle them and get right up and have a good nosy of them. And I just, they just bring like a calmness to me. Like it seems to me almost kind of like some weird magical thing whenever I'm like hyper stressed or like feeling really anxious. I always seem to see a kestrel in like a really nice way, <laughs> like for a long time. Yeah. I mean, my, my version of a really nice way is seeing one shred a, a vault of it. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, the best thing when, when you see one hunting and you're watching it and you see them kind of make several false starts and they're going like, whoa, whoa. 
And you're like, go on, yeah. go on, you can do it. And then it goes down. <laughs> and if you're close enough, you can hear like the thud and a little squeak, like, boom. <laughs> and he gets something and you're like, yes. <laughs> and it flies away with it in his talons, especially if it then perches somewhere and devours its meal. It's just like seeing this whole relationship. I think it's just excellent. Yeah. There are other birds that hover, but nothing that we would see regularly in the UK hovers like that. And it is an amazing thing that they can do. Like you say, they keep their head very still, a bit like a kingfisher on a branch. And Mark Cocker in Birds Britannica describes a hovering kestrel as as inspiring a vision of avian perfection as a peregrine in its headlong dive or a fishing gannet. And he's right, you know, it's avian perfection. It's it's what they do. They've adapted and evolved to become this amazing predator doing yes. something that you won't see any other bird in the UK doing really. Yeah. Such good birds. Exactly. Yeah. And yes, they're little, but I mean, I'm I'm very nerdy in that I love the little stuff. I love, you know, insects and fungi and like you said, slime moles, like just little nerdy things. So for me, size does not come into it because I think they're just the perfect little package. Having said that, though, you did just say you wanted one the size of a mower. Only for my political <laughs> plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, before before we move on, I'm just going to mention this, because did you see that stuff that was the, the video that was doing the rounds on social media <laughs> recently of the kestrel nest <laughs> with the hobby when it came oh, in? I was it, screaming. It, yeah, it's ridiculous. It was, it's a tough watch, but for those who haven't seen it, I'll just describe it. There's a kestrel, female kestrel on a nest. Male brings in some prey. Or other, and a hobby swoops in trying to take the prey away from the kestrel, which is promptly grabbed by both kestrels. And over a series of minutes, the kestrels just battle with this hobby and then feed it to their five chicks, which is just incredible behavior. So, although they look little and cute and they've got lovely wee faces, deadly even to other. Deadly species, incredible That's stuff. That's the thing. If you'd have put, if somebody had come to you with a hypothetical scenario, right? Hobby versus Kestrel, who would you have put your money on? I would have gone with Hobby. I would have gone with Hobby, like hands down. I would have been like, Hobby, obviously. Would and you? I, yeah. And like, it astounded me. I thought it was brilliant. I certainly wouldn't have expected the Hobby to have been literally done over in the way it was and then fed to the chicks. It was yeah. amazing. So, five cracking birds there, but. As regular listeners will know, you can only choose one to go up against my peregrine falcon in the Golden Grenade's best bird ever battle. So, which of your five species are you going to choose? It's got to be the goat sucker, hasn't it? Got to be the nightjar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've, if you've listen to this podcast before you will have heard episodes where I've been the judge jury and executioner but in recent episodes I've taken the pressure off myself and I'm coming up with a variety of different devices of how we decide which is the best bird and it's all meaningless and just a bit of fun but in recent weeks Dominic Cousins played Wheel of Fortune and I recreated the Bruce Forsyth classic play your cards right with Fife Dangerfield so for one week only this battle will be decided by a round of the classic BBC Radio 4 show, Just a Minute. You must talk for 60 seconds about one bird species, which we'll draw randomly. And the rules are you're going to have to talk for a minute without any hesitation, repetition or deviating wildly about a bird species. So I've got eight in the <laughs> in the receptacle. None of them are too challenging, hopefully. And... 
if you can do it, if you can do 60 seconds or thereabouts without any of those pitfalls, the nightjar is the winner this week. But if you fail, then the peregrine is victorious. So are you up for it? I am. I'm actually genuinely nervous. Like, uh, yeah, this. And it's, <laughs> can I also say it's convenient that you're not having to do it. So it's just me. It all ends on me. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's uh, that's the host's prerogative, I'm afraid. Yeah. So it's all on you. You just you, you just win or fail. You've just had a podcast. Knowing how fast I talk, like I'm going to have to speak like this. <laughs> <laughs> right then, I've got my watch. Oh my God. And I've got my bowl. Okay. Okay, like I say, there's nothing too horrible in this bowl. I've just picked out the first one and I'm opening it up here. And you have got the rook. Rook, okay. Are you happy with rook? There's seven other choices if you want to swap. No, I'll go for rook. That's good. Okay, I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, go. The rook is a bird. It is a member of the corvid family, which is a group of avian creatures that generally are black in colour. And the rook is no exception to this. It is medium sized, about the same length as a cat or a piglet (laughs) or something else of roughly the same height. (laughs) It has a white cream beak and darker than grey plumage all over, which is another word for feathers. It is very (laughs) intelligent, and there have been many tests to prove how clever this bird is, including sourcing food from a number of puzzles and other such IQ measures. (laughs) (laughs) That's a minute. (laughs) No, you've done it. That was a minute. for about 30 seconds of that no it wasn't as long as you thought there was a couple of hesitations but you know what you've been such a good sport (laughs) i am going to announce that this week's winner of the golden grenades best bird battle is lucy's nightjar and i don't think rooks are the same size as a piglet or a cat I love the fact that Piglet was one of your go-to sort of size comparisons there. I was like, what is what is roughly this shape and size? I don't know, Piglet. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. And I love the word Piglet. It's brilliant. So, yeah, no, that, that, was, that was excellent. Well, Lucy, thank you so much. You've been a really <laughs> good sport putting up with all this nonsense. So you've got your, obviously, your ongoing bird song lessons on YouTube. You've got your Instagram blog and photos and all the, the sort of nerdy wildlife stuff that you post on there. Have you got anything thing else coming up? Um, I have. I've got a couple of things I'm working on, but annoyingly, it's those things that you're not allowed to talk about until they're a thing. So. Oh, exciting. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm just generally just trying to spend a bit of time out and about, um, you know, teach self teaching myself wildlife and, and, and blogging and posting about it. And yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm trying to create a beginner friendly, silly and informal uh, bird song lesson series on YouTube. So starting from the really boring beginner stuff that you get in your back garden. Um, and soon we'll be delving out into some of the more interesting spring migrants. So yeah, should be fun. Fantastic. Yeah, take a listen to that, folks. It's really fun. And also, you've got a series on birdsong stuff on BBC Radio 3. Yes. Oh, well, BBC Sounds, you can get it through, can't yes. you? So. Yes, very loud it are, but yes. 15, <laughs> 15 species we're covering, so yeah, it should be good. 
Well, thanks again, Lucy. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great fun. Right. That's all for this week, folks. Do tune in next time when my special guest will be the conservation scientist and curator in charge of birds at the Natural History Museum in London, Dr Alex Bond. Until then, ta for now. <laughs>